Tonight we will be reading 1 Thessalonians 1. A lot of people looking at the screen. I don't have the number, but you're smart people. You'll figure it out. Um, before we get to that, I just want to introduce a little bit what's going on here, other than that I'm filling in for Drew. I know it's Lenten season. I know that. I know maintaining continuity of theme and message is critical to a clear portrayal of the whole counsel of Scripture. It's one of the reasons to follow a lexicon, one of the reasons to follow uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. It takes the entire counsel of Scripture. As a teacher, trust me, I also know it's the end of February. I know the days are getting longer, but they don't necessarily seem like it. And I know I tend to focus on such uplifting messages and passages as Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Amos. Um, and I was all lined up to do Jeremiah and at the risk of causing too many people to leap off cliffs, I changed that. And so tonight I'm deviating from the church calendar, and we'll study a group of people from the New Testament that are probably the one group out of all of them that I would love to meet. And maybe someday in heaven I'll get that shot. The Macedonian churches, who we are told... In 2 Corinthians 8, I love this quote. They gave, it makes no sense to the world, but gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, I don't know how you can give what you're able and then beyond what you're able, but they did. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Uh, deacons, are people begging for you to accept more of their money. I, I don't know how often that happens, but these are fascinating people. And tonight we get a little more background than just the fact they were generous. They sound like amazing people to me, and at least generally this same group is the subject of our text tonight, the church in Thessalonica. These are ordinary new believers about whom Paul compliments for, and these words will come back and back, your work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those three things. What would I hope we would absorb from this scripture? Encouragement from Paul's words to the Thessalonians that they could be a model set up for our behavior, and there may actually even be a cautionary note that we could infer as well. So let's read this, 1 Thessalonians 1, and meet these Thessalonian folk. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son in heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There they are. Those are the people, the Thessalonians. And I'm not sure why in all of my life of reading texts and hearing sermons on this, it never dawned on me how amazing as human beings these people are. And Paul often opens this letter, if you look at it the way he often does, with a salutation in the name of God, standard equipment. He includes one of his habitual openings saying, grace and peace to you, and I read that to you before. Now, the Greeks commonly used a form of the word grace. It's really close to charis, and it means greetings. So a Greek would say, greetings to you. It sounds kind of nice. Um, it's a standard sort of nice thing. Paul takes that typical greeting and modifies it in two ways. First of all, he changes greetings to the closely related word grace. And we all know where grace comes from, from God alone. And he would speak that, and that word would strike the Greek believers hearing this letter or maybe his message in the three weekends he was there before he was chased out of town. Also worth noting, I think, due to the prevalence of Gentiles in Thessalonica, something else I had not noticed, Paul's two letters to Thessalonica do not use quotations from the Old Testament. All through his epistles, he re references Old Testament, Old Testament. And this one, as far as I could find, he doesn't. Maybe, therefore, he is thinking, I don't want to speak above their heads in ways that won't reach a Greek audience. Anyway, after greeting with grace, he then adds a word that would ring in the ears and in the hearts of the Jews present, and that is peace or shalom, that ultimate goodness and wellness to be wished, the traditional greeting to the peace of God. So grace from the to the people of God. So grace and peace together get both parts of this church welcomed. Something said so simply in Paul's opening draws in his two main audiences there. Then he adds something, I would think, what would make them simply glow. 
What an encouraging compliment Paul delivered by saying, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Paul most often opens a letter in an encouraging and joyful way. A notable exception as a sidebar would be the book of Galatians, which opens with, uh, to a group of people who are attacking his right to apostleship and opens with these kind words, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Rather sharp words. But back to our book. Imagine someone saying about First Duisburg CRC, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. As children, I had, as a child, I had a prayer list uh, which got complicated as my brothers got married because I'd have to modify the rhythm by adding a female name. You know, you get William K., Kurt and Betsy, Jeff and Jerry, Brian and Kath, and it kept getting changed. And we'd have missionaries, and we would say them in a certain order all the time, every night, and then one would retire. And it would throw everything off, but it was that kind of all the time, every day, every night, that Paul says this. Maybe outsiders of our group here in Oostburg or Sheboygan Countinians do thank God for us daily in their prayers. But this is really an entirely different level of praise. Paul says everywhere, maybe a bit of hyperbole, but still these words should affirm our collective personshood. So, who were these people that Paul greeted so warmly? Paul's history with his people began during his second missionary journey, shortly after having been imprisoned with Silas, or Silvanus, and then kicked out of the city of Philippi, Acts 16. You remember the story where they sat together, chained in jail, and an earthquake came, and the head of the guards was going to kill himself and Paul said don't we're here they were also singing I believe singing in an earthquake and you can escape jail this is only stuff the Bible could have and they tell him no we're still here and he says what must I do to be saved that story they come out of that they are kind of ushered out of Philippi and after they fled Timothy a young man from Lystra joined them in southern Macedonia. I may have my details a little out of order. I actually wrote them down to try and keep track. Now, the city of Thessalonica was founded by a Macedonian king. Um, king Philip, for example, was the father of Alexander. They were King Philip of Macedonia. This is a previous one. In the 4th century B.C., and he named the city after his wife. I have no idea if that's a good thing. I, I don't know about naming cities after spouses. It was the second largest city in Greece after only Athens. Recognizing its importance, Rome made it sort of a, a governmental hub which granted that city a certain degree of political autonomy. It contained a sticky mishmash of Greco-Roman, Egyptian, and Caesar worship. And into this religious morass came the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Competition with these faiths would eventually challenge the fledgling group of Christians. Paul preached, as was his habit, in the local synagogue, causing many Jews and then later on pagans to riot, becoming, and this is from Acts 17, becoming jealous. And I love this one translation, taking some bad men of the rabble, you know, I got to make sure they get some troublemakers in there. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, second biggest city in what was Greece, in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, Jason where the missionaries were staying, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. This is their welcome to the city of Thessalonica. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy left that night, and they headed to Berea. Now some of those troublemakers, or bad men, followed them to Berea, continuing to harass the missionaries, and Paul was hustled out of town to Athens, but Silas and Timothy stayed there. The three of them ended up meeting up again later in Corinth after Paul had made his famous appearance at the Areopagus on Mars Hill. I see you are in every way religious. You even have a statue to the unknown God. I'm here to tell you about that God. Now later when Paul was in Corinth, I think next after that, he shipped Timothy back to Thessalonica to ensure that that church was surviving. Timothy probably brought what we would call First Thessalonians with him. The hostility of the residents of Thessalonica may also explain why Paul had such a desire to send Timothy and Silas to check on that church and deliver the letter. For those of you with a historical bent, these events, depending who you read, are taking right around 50 to 51 A.D. And by the way, Timothy returning to Paul reported that the church in Thessalonica was not only surviving, but thriving. All that by prelim, but it's important to know who these people were and what they were. They were being praised for a nice, easy life and a nice... No, they were under heavy persecution and yet they're praised. So in the text we have for tonight, Paul employs a few. We'll look at two groups of three in his text. He states that the Thessalonians, he highlights three things, work, labor, and endurance. He commends them for working, for laboring, and for enduring or being steadfast. And how do they do that? They do that, not on their own, but because God worked in them faith, love, and hope. So first of all, he notes work produced by faith. Work here denotes a deed, an action, that which is wrought or made. It's something you have to, uh, define the word with the word, word is heresy, but you have to work at it, or a worker who accomplishes something, one who completes a task. They were good at their work through the faith that God gave them. And this use of that word of faith is always used in the context of it being a gift from God. 
always. It's never something that I generate myself. It's always from God. So from our scripture tonight, work rooted in faith comes with God's stamp of approval, his guarantee certifying that the revelation he inbirthed, that's a commentator's word, will come to pass. He's going to make it happen. So following Paul's glowing praise of their work, faith, work by faith, these young oppressed believers were commended, second of all, for their labor prompted by love. You can see that as well. These Thessalonians labored. Um, I don't think I have much to say about what women go through in labor. Labor in this sense means toil involving weariness and fatigue. They didn't kind of focus on something and go do it. They worked tirelessly and they labored to the point of sweat. The source of and motivation for this labor was love. And that's that agape love, the selfless, Christ-like love and benevolence. So God is not only the origin of the faith as a source of their work, but also the bedrock of their labor, and that is God-inspired love. Thirdly, Paul noted their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Work by faith, labor through love, and now endurance or steadfastness. This word means patient waiting for. God enables the believer to remain and endure under the challenges. He allots in life. He expects, you can expect that in that it is certain that as you ride out the storm, God will help you and encourage you to ride out the storm. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis identifies one of the key four historical cardinal virtues as fortitude. Or, he suggests, we might say today, guts. My mother would have said, lots of hyphens here, stick to if that maybe makes some sense to you. Despite the persecution by the Thessalonians, by both Greeks and Jews, the young Christians endured, they showed guts. So, Having highlighted these inspiring features of the Thessalonian church, he also proclaims in verse 4, the source of their work, labor, steadfast, steadfastness, faith, hope, and love. He says in verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. The Thessalonians were able to persevere under oppression and even thrive because the only source of these gifts was God's electing love. He says further in verse 4 that they are loved and chosen by God. Their faith was a complete gift from God. Nothing the Thessalonians did themselves could have brought about such strength of faith, love, and hope. God is the only foundation of true faith, love, and hope. Now, that same love, 
that same love prompted God to choose us. God's election isn't a negative. It is an eternal encouragement. It is a guarantee, a warranty that the great gifts of God will not fail. We may buy for additional money an extra guarantee when making a major purchase. My faith, were it based on my choosing or my power, would waver, fail, maybe climb a little, fall, and then crash once and for all. God's love, on the other hand, God's choosing of us is in itself its own guarantee. Unlike Milwaukee or other power tools, no additional five-year warranty need be purchased. God's love will never fail. We rest forever in the gentle grip of his hand. Finally, from God's love for and in choosing of the Thessalonians comes the source of their being able to model faith for the entire world to see, for which Paul commended them. Verse 5 declares that God brings power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. If we are to do the great works which God has prepared for us before time, if we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2, it is his power which makes it possible. It is his Holy Spirit which quickens our dried hearts and inspired us to be kingdom soldiers. The church in Thessalonica was a vibrant, young, energetic church because of the work done through the power of the God who saved them. So the punchline is this. The same power which enabled the Thessalonians to be a beacon of light for God in Thessalonica, in Macedonia, and into the entire world lives in his people today. God's people can be that city on a hill today. We can be that city on a hill today. Now, I did not get them to Zach or to Anne, and in some ways, I think that's okay. Listen to the following scripture verses. Just focus on this as an encouragement to all of us. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So sound a lot like two of our three words tonight right there. Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, one of our words tonight, to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power. I, I don't imagine the power it took from God to raise Christ from the dead. That power, it says right here, is the same power that he has given to us. That power. 
1 Corinthians 1.23, to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, well, that comes right again back from our story, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And one more, there were hundreds. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, my message, my preaching, were not with wise words or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So I close by asking, what are we known for in Oostburg? What are we known for in Sheboygan County? What are we known for in Wisconsin? Are we known for anything in the United States and the world? Does our agape-based love, working, struggling on behalf of others, prompt those around us to see the source of our faith, love, and hope? Are we persevering, gutting it out under the onslaught of worldliness through the power of the Holy Spirit, standing out as God's chosen people? Or do we even discern worldliness in our midst in the first place? Let us take up the challenge given by the Macedonian Christians. Let us publicly declare the gospel to a world that from our limited perspective seems out of control. Let us demonstrate to our neighbors, let us plant the flag of God's kingdom with work rooted in faith, with labor rooted in love, and with steadfastness by the hope flowing from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.